You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Well, hey, gals. I was thinking today as I was prepping for this podcast, and I was thinking about what in the world is it that I do sometimes? And I do think there's a healthy amount sometimes of doubt that comes into my brain. And and maybe the enemy kind of uses that a little bit to go, you know, man, AIM, who are you to get on here and say any of this? And, you know, in some ways, it's like, that's actually accurate, because guess what? I'm nobody. And I'm a sinner just like the rest of us. Often, sometimes the topics that I pull up on here and I look at the scriptures and I think we can listen to people and think, oh, they must have all of this completely dialed in. They don't have to worry about any of this stuff. They're just sharing from all of their successes and the things that they aren't mastered by and, you know, all of that. And we can just think that the person that we're listening to, sometimes they just got it going on and they do it all right and all of those things. You guys have probably heard, I've probably said this before, I'm probably a broken record on this, but you know, gals, that's not any of us. But I wonder if I bring that up today, maybe even there's somebody out there that's listening and you sometimes hear those same kinds of things like, who do you think you are to be able to encourage that person? Who do you think you are to be able to share that verse with your kids or, you know, pray with someone? I mean, are you so holy or anything like that? And we're not gals, right? You know, like we strive for holiness and that is something that we absolutely want to do because we want to be more Christ-like, but it's not because we necessarily have everything always figured out. So what does all of that have to do with my topic today? Well, I don't really, I mean, nothing and maybe everything at the same time, because I want to talk about idolatry a little bit. And so don't just get an Old Testament picture in your brain right now. Hang on to that for a second. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I think it's important for us to realize, regardless of the topic, whether it's idolatry or prayer or depression or marriage stuff, you know, all the kinds of things that we talk about. We had a lot of topics here on the podcast. I want you guys to hear that we're all sinners and we are all striving to be like Jesus. And I don't know, maybe what it was as I was listening or as I was reading some of these scriptures today, I think this is kind of one of these topics that we can so quickly and summarily dismiss like, oh my goodness, I don't struggle with that. But then when I read some of these scriptures, when I read some of the definitions I'm going to share with you, I'm like, you know what? Yep. I can fall in that camp just like anybody else. And so I think for me today, I was just thinking about this going, you know, this stuff, I'm so encouraged to be able to be in the word and be able to read these things and kind of make sure I'm aligned in the right direction on these things too. So I'm hoping that that's the same thing for you because maybe you saw the topic of this podcast and you're like, I don't really even need to listen to that. That's not something I struggle with. But just have an open mind, think through these. And you know, especially when I'm reading the scriptures or if you go in the show notes and you read those scriptures on your own, you know, that's really where the power is. That's the authority. That's the thing that we need to look to and go, oh man, Lord, how am I lining up with this? So Our topic that I wanted to look at is idolatry, because like I said, it does sometimes seem like, oh, that's such an Old Testament thing, right? Like, you know, back in Exodus, when they were making golden calves and, you know, things in the Old Testament where the Jewish people were taking on the idols of the other nations. And, you know, that's weird. And not a lot of us feel like we have little wooden or golden or silver little idols that we keep somewhere and pray to and all of those things. Like that's sometimes what we think of when we hear the word idol 
prior, I think, to American Idol when that show came out, right? Which is hilarious that that's what we called it, right? But prior to when that came out, I don't even know if we really thought about it too much, you know? Or maybe it's kind of one of those words that we sort of normalize and make it where it's not so big a deal. Like you'll talk about a celebrity or someone like they're an idol. And you don't literally mean you're bowing down and worshiping them. I actually think that's kind of an unfortunate common term we came up with in some ways, because I think it took away some of the potency that maybe we should have when we think of what an idol actually is. We can all think back Exodus 20, verse three, when it says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then the verse goes on to talk about that we have no carved image or likeness of anything in heaven or in the earth beneath and all the description of all the things that idols can contain, which is really helpful, actually. If you read Exodus 20, verse 3 through 6, it kind of covers everything. Like it could be something in the heavens. It could be something on the earth, below the earth. Like it's really trying to be all-encompassing about everything that can be an idol and that we need to be careful about that because the command, and I'll repeat that, the command is that you and me, we shall have no other gods before the one true God. Like even just think about that line for a sec. I mean, that's a major command, okay? We shall have no other gods before the one true God. And so while we can hear that and go, oh yeah, check, I totally do that. Then that's when a really pesky podcast like today comes along. And I'm going to kind of poke at that a little bit for you and for me going, "Mm, where have I maybe put something in that spot that I didn't want to call it an idol? But is it? Is it an idol? So you know how I love to look at my old dictionaries. And so when I look at the Webster 1828, my very fave, it defines idolatry like this. The first definition, number one, says the worship of idols, images, or anything made by hands or which is not God. Again, I always love Webster because he was a Christian. And so he's very influenced by scripture and by his own relationship with the Lord. So he is aptly describing what idolatry is. 100% according to Exodus 20 right there. But then the second definition that he puts in here, I think is really helpful for us to be able to kind of drill down and eh, maybe dig in a little bit more and go, okay, but what else are we talking about when we're talking about idolatry? His second definition says excessive attachment for anything that which borders on adoration. I'm going to say that several times through this because I think this is a good line for us to think about. Excessive attachment to anything that borders on adoration. Huh. So many things in scripture tell us that we need to not have idols. We need to not have things that we have an excessive attachment to that borders on adoration unless it's God himself. That's it you know, and it's going to always come back to that very first commandment. It's in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. That was where Jesus said when they were kind of trying to test him and ask him like, what's the greatest things of the law? What are the greatest commandments? And he said to them, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he goes on to say, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So love God and love others. Love God. Now, we're not going to talk about all of the things that loving God really looks like, but we are talking about this one sliver in which that if you have something else that you are giving adoration and excessive attachment to, you're kind of inching God out of that which would be against the commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's kind of giving us the singleness of mind, singleness of focus, 
that we kind of need to filter everything else that we are interested in, everything else that's in our life. Are we filtering it through that of loving God and loving others? And how are we doing on that? I love first, second, and third John. They're all great. But I think it's his style in there that sometimes catches me. You know, first John, he talks about the whole book, he, all three of them actually, he talks about love, love, love. And, he, and in First John, he talks about that God is love. and But his style is sometimes a little bit abrupt. And especially the way he ends First John chapter 5, the very last verse in verse 21, it's almost like it doesn't flow. Here, I'll back up so you can kind of get what I'm meaning. So if you go back a couple verses to verse 19, he says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Last verse, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's it. That's how he ends the book. I love that because it kind of sticks to me. It sticks out to me. You know, he's talking about that God is true and earlier in the book, God is love and all of these different things. And then he just tacks on, it almost feels like this last little phrase that says, oh yeah, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why is that such a big deal? We know it's a big deal. We already read Exodus 20. We already know that in Matthew, Jesus says the law and the prophets that they hinge on these two things, that we would love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, which means you can't have idols. You can't have other things that you put before the Lord. So it makes me ask myself, and what I would ask you to ask yourself is, what do you and I have an excessive attachment to that borders on adoration? Fill in the blank. So I'll get real personal and just go ahead and bear my soul a little bit on this first. And you're going to think of this so like, oh, Amy, that's silly. Like, that's not really something that you can make an idol. And maybe the, an idol is a little bit of a strong word. But again, I want to look very carefully at scripture and go, hey, Lord, what am I being a little bit crazy about that I am putting my needs, the things that I think ahead of what you might think and what you need? And I think I'm probably not alone, but sometimes I think we can make an idol out of our schedule, out of our checklist, out of the things that we thought should be done a certain way. My timeline, you know, or, you know, maybe you're some of you are like, oh, I thought I would do fill in the blank either today or this year or this decade. Okay. Maybe you were one of those that said, I thought when I would get married or when I would have kids, you know, like I had a timeline here, God. I had my idea of how this was going to go, and it's not going quite like that. And we can get really tied in knots about that. I think it's one of those things that some of us are a little bit better at change than others or when plans have to pivot and change in our flexibility. This is something I have certainly had to grow and stretch over in the last 20 years. Go ahead, get married, and that will definitely get you working on your flexibility and being able to put the needs of other people ahead of what your checklist look like. I'm type A, gals. I know that's not a shock, but man, I like that checklist. I like everything to be all, you know, checked off and kind of like, you know, I can get that, well, this is how it should be done. How in the world would you possibly think it should be done any differently, you know? And that, you know, maybe that seems, again, kind of silly. Like, how are you putting that as an idol? But again, we're taking this down to this bare definition here of something that you have an excessive attachment to that borders on adoration. Now, hopefully, I reel it in before we get to the adoration line. But I do think that it's something that me and I'm sure there's others that we can sit there and go, oh, am I too attached to the timeline that I wanted? Am I too attached to the checklist that I wanted it to be a certain way? Do I get grumpy about it when things don't go quite my way? Or... 
am I flexible? And do I just surrender to the fact that, oh, the Lord had different plans? We love the Proverbs that talks about how the Lord is the one who establishes our steps, right? Do we believe it? Or do we only believe that when we like where those steps lead? Got to ask ourselves those things. That's sort of the things that we can put our own timeline, our own thing ahead of what the Lord had. Okay, here's another one. What about your kids? Can your kids be an idol? I think this can be a thing. I really do. Again, what do you have an excessive attachment to that borders on adoration? Now, are we to love our children? Are we to be even self-sacrificing for our children and all of those things? We are. We are called to care and nurture our kids. We're called to teach them in the ways of the Lord. And so a lot of times that teaching is very unselfish. Hopefully that's what it's supposed to look like. However, Do we allow our kids to get to that idol status? Now, sometimes we've seen this in places like maybe it's a little bit more Hollywood-ish, but it can feel real gross. You know, the, the classic stories of kiddos that got put in like beauty pageants and were put through all of these things that I don't really know if it was ever for the child at all, but it was to elevate that child. You always kind of have to ask why. What was in it for the mom in those situations? Was it to make her look better or what it was? But maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's not even about how you are wanting to be perceived, but truly having your kids where, man, everything from their schedules, I mean, goodness, can sports be more overwhelming than they are today? I mean, you can have a sport for year round and you can have early morning practices, you can have late practices, you can have every weekend. I mean, it can completely take over your life if you want it to, or if you allow it to, it absolutely will. And that is something where then you have to sort of evaluate, well, if that's where you're spending all of your time, are you developing an excessive attachment to it? Can you give it up? If the Lord says, nope, that's not what I have for you right now, would you just be able to turn that switch off and be able to go do something else? It can be really hard to do. Kiddos can also be an idol when we want to make sure their feelings matter above all else. And we can forget, moms, that we're to be our kid's parent, especially in these younger years. You're not here to be their best friend. Now, I firmly believe that, man, as you parent, and I do mean parent, like actually parenting, not doing the BFF thing with your kids. I think if you do that really, really well, you will have a wonderful relationship with your adult children. Mine are hinging on that adult side of things. And I so enjoy how even that relationship is changing. And it's a great, great thing. But it does, you know, especially when you are in that kind of get sucked into that, oh, but I want my kids to like me and I want to be the cool mom and all of those kinds of things. Man, be careful about that because you can quickly be putting your kiddos in a place where you idolize what they think of you and all of those things. And you have this excessive attachment that borders on adoration that is not what a relationship should look like between parent and child. So just evaluate that. It's Matthew 10, 37 says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's like one of those verses that sometimes if you read that, you're like, that's not in the Bible. Seriously? It says that we're not supposed to love father or mother or, you know, well, read it again. It's not saying you're not supposed to love your father or mother, but it does say, or son or daughter, it does say though, that you aren't to love them more than Jesus, more than God. See, that's where that whole idolatry thing would get in there, right? If you have this excessive attachment that borders on adoration 
for either of those camps, even something as amazing as the relationship between mother and son or mother and daughter or with parents. Those are good things. Those aren't bad things. But if we love those things more than God, more than Jesus, that's where Jesus is cautioning us there. What about marriage? Is marriage an idol? Sometimes for singles, it can be like, again, it kind of can go into the timeline thing of like, okay, Lord, really thought that this is where I would be by now. And it can be, this is all I think about and all of that. As if marriage is the ultimate goal. I always talk about that when we've done the podcast with singleness and that kind of stuff. And I know sometimes singles, you're like, yeah, I've heard it a million times, AIM, I get it. But I think sometimes it bears reminding that marriage is not like a prize to be won at the end of a really long race of really long slog at singleness, you know, it's not marriage is a blessing, but so is singleness. The more I see where scripture is not waiting to be instructive to you, like when you're married, it's not waiting to be instructive to you when you're an empty nester. You know, it's like scripture is so full in every stage that we're at. It applies to us right there. But we can sometimes, and I think culture doesn't really help us out with this, right? It wants to make it that, you know, if you're not married, then there's all kinds of things. But it's not true. It's really not true. And we have to be careful that we don't make the idea of marriage an idol or the idea of the wedding the idol. Man, I did weddings for, I don't know, 18 years or so. I was a wedding coordinator and saw a lot of really awesome weddings. You can also see all the really scary stories of like bridezillas and the things. How did that happen? Those stories happened because the people started getting so caught up in the event itself that they kind of developed an excessive attachment that bordered on adoration to the event, to the wedding. Now, the wedding's amazing, right? And I'm not discounting that. I, th- I mean, there's a amazing thing, especially as you come together under God and you are joining together. That's huge. And it is like what Paul talks about, that it's a miracle and a mystery. But that's just actually the joining. That's actually the marriage itself. We get so caught up in everything from centerpieces to florals. Again, it's all beautiful. It's not bad things. But keep it in perspective because you don't want to have this excessive attachment that borders on adoration towards one day. That's not where we need to be. Bible commentator John Wolvard, he made this statement actually about this when it's talking about marriage or whatever it is that we would be inserting in the place of God. And he says, whatever the object of love, anything which hinders a true love for God may cause a Christian to lose his first love. And that is where thinking about, you know, our first love goes to God himself. And these other things that we can stick in there, we'll see those are the idols. Those are the things that we are substituting. Those are the things that are taking away from who we should be giving that love and that adoration towards. So many things we could fill in this blank. And I encourage you to just kind of pray about this. What could you fill into that blank that you maybe have developed an excessive attachment to? You know, is it friends? Is it relationships? Is it your work? Do you have an excessive attachment that borders on adoration? Does it take up all your time? Is it everything that you think about? Is that what your work has become? There's a couple passages that talk about another thing that can become idolatry. Ephesians 5 says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Says that in Ephesians 5, also in Colossians 3, says to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And it gives this list again, very similar to that Ephesians list, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness or greed, 
which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. It's kind of a brutal list. And it's interesting to me that this one gets in there, greed, covetousness, and it says, which is idolatry. And it's couched with these other words that we're like, ooh, those are bad. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, all of these. And then right next to it, covetousness, which is greed, which is idolatry. Hmm. Okay. So what do we need to evaluate with that scripture? Greed can become idolatry because it craves something else, right? That's that idea of coveting something, anything else that we can stick in there. And that's why when I was reading these, I was like, you know, Aim, think about how you're doing with that. Because I do wonder if perhaps we just want to check the box of like, I do not struggle with idolatry. I have no golden images. And so therefore this doesn't apply to me. And I think it might. I think it might. And it's with that list I just read you guys in Ephesians 5 and then also in Colossians 3, those are kind of some heavy hitter and maybe some really destructive sins that can be very harmful to us. And idolatry, greed, it's all within that. And we got to be careful about that and maybe evaluate the things that we have cravings for that we shouldn't. Several scriptures on greed and covetousness, Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. First Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. You know, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Right. We live in a world where we have so much. We have so much, especially here in the United States, right? I mean, I can't even really relate to countries where they don't have running water and, you know, air conditioning and all of these things. We've not really had to live in that kind of environment. We have so much. And yet, isn't it interesting, all that we have, and we can still find ourselves going, wouldn't it be nice if we had fill in the blank? Now, again, this is not to put like this weird trip on you to be like, you know, we all need to live as monks somewhere and just be deprived of everything and all of that. That's not what these scriptures are saying. That's why I think all of these are just so great to kind of run through the sieve of, are they an excessive attachment that borders on adoration? Are we keeping that in check? I think that's the point. You can see clearly from those lists that we gave in Ephesians and Colossians that, of course, idolatry is sin. We know that even from Exodus, right? But when I read those lists in Colossians and Ephesians, you can almost go, can your sin or the things you get caught up in, can there almost be a little bit of a double whammy there in that the sin itself can become an idol? Meaning when you look at the Bible knowledge commentary, it kind of breaks down that verse in Colossians and it defines, kind of breaks out that list. And so the list of activities that it gives there of the earthly nature there in Colossians, it said immorality, which comes from the Greek word porneo, which is fornication. It's where we get our word for pornography, but it's anything that is immoral sexually. Impurity is the next one in that Colossians list, which it defines as just a wider perversion of some kind. Then it says lust, which comes from pathos, which is uncontrollable passion, which is interesting. And then the last one it gives on that list is evil desires, which they define as illicit craving. And then finally greed. It's kind of a, wow, kind of a dark list, isn't it? But when I think about those particular sins that it lists there, immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, all of those, when and how do those sins, the passions, the lusts, the evil desires, when do they become idols? It seems kind of ridiculous to say we adore our sin, 
But yet when I think of some of those and I think of how they take over a person, it's because if somebody started dabbling in any of those illicit cravings or passions or things that were just kind of feeding their desire for immorality in any way, typically they're not going to go out on their front porch and go, hey, guys, check out what I'm doing over here. And you're just going to have it on display. They usually hide it, don't they? And when we hide things, often we'll want to even be really careful. It's like I almost picture it like taking that little sin and just kind of keeping it in its bubble wrap and just keeping it really protected. And, you know, all of those things, we don't want anyone to see it, you know, and so let's just keep it really protected and spend some time making sure it stays tucked away. Being very intentional about a sin, right? And in so doing, I think we can make that even more of an idol in our life because we're giving it that excessive attachment. We're protecting it. We might try to make it sound like it's not that big a deal. We might just say, oh, it's just this little guilty pleasure or something. But if you're exalting that sin in a way, that can be an idol in your life. And then you're kind of looking at that list in Colossians and Ephesians and you're like, okay, I'm in all of these things and I need to evaluate this stuff. Galatians 5, I'm going to read a couple verses there, but Galatians 5.19 starts like this, and it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. It says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, there it is, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is such a brutal passage, right? Because there is no way that any of us looks at that list and go, oh, well, I've never been jealous. I've never been angry. I've never had rivalries. I've never been, you know, divisions or dissensions. I've never been contentions. I mean, guys, look at that list. That's like a, we would all be guilty of those things. And then it says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what do we do with that? Our pastor is so great whenever he teaches on this to remind us that the verb tense that's used there in this passage, that those who do these things, the implication is that it's those who continually practice these things. If you are working at getting good at doing any of those sins, if you're working on the impurity, the sorcery, the sexual immorality, being angry, and you don't really care that you do those things. And not only do you not care, you're fine being known as one of those things. Eh, whatever. That's continually practicing those things. That's what it's saying. It isn't saying that if you've ever done one of those sins, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That would be a contradiction of other scriptures. I'm going to read a couple in a minute that'll be really great news for all of us. But if we continually practice these things, and if we just kind of want to get good at our sin, and our idolatry, and we see maybe some things that we have some excessive attachment to, but we're like, you know what? I kind of like my excessive attachment. I like this hobby. I like that my work is this important. I like this music. Whatever it is that we have exalted to that state that we will not give it up, and we don't care what you think. Again, you don't have to care what I think, but you should care what the Word of God says on this. And if there are things that have just crept into your heart and your mind that you won't surrender because you have that excessive of attachment that borders on adoration, strong, strong commandments about this. And the word is really clear on this. Galatians goes on to tell us what to do with those sins of our flesh. All of those things I just read, sins of the flesh, and we're totally guilty of those things. Again, the distinction is, do you continue to practice them or are you wrestling against them. But Galatians tells us what we should do with them. 
And it says in verse 24 of chapter five, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. That's just a little tack on encouragement there at the end. But the beginning part telling us that what we're supposed to do with it is we're supposed to crucify the flesh. Okay, that would have been really strong language to the New Testament audience reading this because they understood crucifixion as the most brutal, torturous, and cursed death that you could have during that time. It was horrible. So to describe that you would take the sins of the flesh, that list we just read earlier, the sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, sensuality, all of those things, jealousy, anger, and you would crucify them. That's a really brutal response. As much as that's kind of like a gory, I guess, picture to think about, I find it helpful to think about that is how we should view the things that we have placed as idols, things that we have elevated. We need to think about being willing to crucify that passion, that desire to do those things, that attitude to uphold that in such a way that is above the Lord. That's how brutal, that's how radical we're supposed to approach our conceptions of what we hold as an idol, what we hold above the Lord. And the encouragement there is that if we live by the Spirit, we'll keep in step with the Spirit. Aren't you really glad that verse 25 of Galatians 5 doesn't say that, and you can just do it and you can figure it out and you're good enough and you've got this? Because I know all of those messages, they're 100% on Pinterest and you know we've all seen the, you got this girl thing, right? You don't got it. You just don't. It's the Spirit. Read all of Galatians 5. It's great because it tells you that it's by keeping in step with the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the one that has all those beautiful fruits of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians 5. They're like this lovely antidote to all of those awful things that we read within our flesh and the sins that get us all entrapped. It's the Spirit that when we walk in step with the Spirit, we're free from all that stuff. We don't have to walk in that. But it's not because we're so amazing and we just need to power through and then we can overcome all of these things. Isn't the Lord good that even in the things that we struggle with, he doesn't just put it all on us to say, well, I hope you figure this out because clearly this is not a healthy path for you. This is not good for you. I've told you to not have idols, so you need to not. Well, yes, there's an element of responsibility to us in that we do need to repent. And we do need to, when I say repent, not just say sorry, not sorry, but like actually recognize that, you know what? I, Lord, have had an unhealthy, I have had an excessive attachment to fill in the blank. And I've adored it to a place that I shouldn't. And we need to change that. You got to align yourself with what God's word is saying. So maybe you're thinking, you're like hearing all this and you're like, well, awesome. Now I feel really peachy. Thank you for bringing all of that out and making me wonder, oh goodness, what do I have as an idol in my life? Well, this is again where the word of God is so beautiful because it's easy for us to sit and feel really condemned and go, wow, I've really blown it. I've been trying to hide my sin. I've been trying to get better at it. But guess what? You can repent even of a long practice of sins like that. You can repent of that. And there isn't condemnation that, you know, it's Romans 8, 1 that says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
that image a minute ago that I gave about Galatians that were to crucify the flesh. Well, he's pulling that image of crucifixion because it's Jesus that was actually crucified, taking on that sin, taking on our idolatry and the things that we have sinned against the Lord on. It's all in this beautiful, but God, right? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, it goes on in Romans 5, verse 9, it says, Since therefore we have been now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Oh, that's a great word, gals. We have been reconciled. We don't have to live in this state of condemnation and guilt and shame unto that condemnation. That's not what Jesus wants for us. And it's just amazing that he doesn't wait till we get to that, like where we've got it all together because we're not ever going to get it all together. He died for that sin, even while we were still sinners. He died for us and we are reconciled. There should be a piece of that as you read that. I mean, how glorious is that? Because while I think sometimes our world has done such a candy-coated job with our sin that it kind of tries to convince us that, you know, is it really that bad? Really? They're kind of making a big deal out of nothing. And that can sound real good, but it can also be a big fat lie. Let God's word be true and every man a liar. This is what the word of God tells us about our sin. I think the God who created us, who was there at creation, he knew he was there. He was there with Adam and Eve. And he's been through mankind throughout history. He has been with you since the moment you were born. Before you were born, he knew you. He knew exactly all the things that you were going to walk through and do. He knew so many reasons why God and his word should have authority on telling us these things and knowing what is best for us. And then he goes one step further in that he frees us from the sins that we get all messed up in. As I think through this whole topic with idolatry, because, you know, maybe nothing came to mind. Maybe you're like, oh, no, I I don't really think of anything necessarily that is reaching that idol status. That's great. I do encourage you to just kind of keep that check of going, asking the Lord, Lord, am I putting anything above you? Because anything I'm putting above you, I'm allowing to take some real estate up in my mind and in my heart. And there's a lot of scriptures that talk about how we are to love the Lord with a wholeheartedness. And I love that we've talked about in that in previous podcasts and Pride Devoted Lives and this idea of being wholeheartedly committed, wholeheartedly about the Lord. He takes up all the room in it. And the thing is, when the Lord is the one that is taking up residency and you are honoring above all other things, there's not room for other stuff. And when something else tries to inch its way in and go, oh, you know what, this is actually pretty shiny and cool and all of that, you will see it for what it is. And it's going to eat at some real estate that you know should be devoted to the Lord. Jeremiah 24, 7 says this, it says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. If we are filled with loving the Lord and doing and thinking on the things that will please Him, 
the questions about what we are adoring excessively will be an easy answer that it's the Lord and Him alone. So check some of these scriptures out. Ask yourself, Lord, am I serving you wholeheartedly? Are you the one that has taken up residency in all of my thoughts and minds with the things that I'm doing? Go ahead, do the really painful thing of sifting maybe some of your relationships or thoughts or hobbies or work or music or whatever it is that you are into right now and just check it a little bit. Do I have an excessive attachment to this that is bordering on adoration? But the good news is that if you do, guess what? We just get to come to the Lord. We get to repent of our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness every single time. The Lord is so good. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.